when you said dear God in heaven, I thought you were just talking about the usual problems with Skype. You must be talking about the um, trailer for Cats. What the ever-loving fuck? Well, when an Andrew Lloyd Webber hates an audience very, very much. <laughs> season three. Season three. Someone hates a season three. Jeff and Scott and Mrs. C. With Blanche and John, the crew, a new movie. It's so much fun that you'll have to pee. It's gonna cure your apathy. And on we, it's the Slumgullions. We're still booking ghosts on the Slumgullions. You're not getting ghosts on the Slumgullions. You'll probably fade on the Slumgullions. Hello and welcome to a special all-bullshit episode of the Slumgullion, America's only podcast. I am Jeff. Three hours behind me is Scott. I am an exceptional penny, and I am also slightly drunk. Scott, how are you tonight? Trying to catch up. I, when I heard you were getting drunk, I made myself a uh, classic daiquiri. Mm. The, the Ernest Hemingway style, not the um, uh, whipped-up-in-a-blender-girl drink version. And um, <laughs> Nice. I'm trying to catch up. But what interests me is your assertion that we're doing an all-bullshit version of <laughs> This implies that that's not what we do all the time. Well, what I mean is this is not – there's no UMC, this one. This is this is sort of like Act 1. Since we did kind of an all-UMC with Spider-Man, even though we talked a little bit of, of, of normal things with the crew, this one, we're not going in-depth on a movie. We're just talking shit. And, oh, do we have some shit to talk about? We do. I mean, I uh... – I usually like to go into these things with some sort of agenda. I have none. I'm not filled with hate. I am filled with a little bit of hate. I said I'm not filled with hate. I didn't say that a product contains no detectable amounts of hate. The amount of trace hatred in me right now is roughly equivalent to the amount of rat hair and feces you would find in a hot dog. Understood. So, yeah, but um, there's stuff that's going on. Oh there, oh, there is stuff. Now, as most of you, I'm sure, are aware, Comic-Con began, and as is usual, there was lots of people cosplaying and lots of toys. They're bringing back He-Man action figures. Well, they're bringing back He-Man and uh, She-Ra, so, yeah, of course. I mean, I'm, granted, they're doing the movie, so, but I mean, they're bringing back the, the classic action figures, which I, if you want to call them classic, okay, fine. But anyway, several trailers dropped today, and I wanted to discuss the trailers. And also, today, I got to see for free, thank God, um, The Lion King, which I also wanted to start with. But, oh, <laughs> boys and girls, oh, dear friends, um... I, I, I came back from seeing The Lion King, and thankfully the theater where I saw it um, not only has air conditioning, but they serve alcohol, so I was able to at least numb the arthritis pain that I am feeling with a few beers while I was watching The Lion King. But then when I got home, I discovered – well, earlier today, I discovered that they were making a live-action version of Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cats. Well, I did you, not know this. You just heard the bad news then. Literally today, I just I had no clue that this was even a thing. All right, and uh, and like Judy Dench is in it, Idris Elba is in it, James Corden is in it, and uh, and Jennifer Hudson. And I was like, okay, it's got a cast. Well, then I got home from the Lion King and discovered that the trailer 
had dropped for Cat. I just watched it and what the ever loving fuck. <laughs> I would be laughing if I wasn't slightly drunk, but oh my god. Okay, now a little bit of backstory. I actually saw Cats within its first year on Broadway. How'd you manage that? My uncle. Oh, right. You had a connection. Yes, I had a connection. And he was like, hey, you want to see Cats? And I was like, yeah, sure. It's a musical and it's free. Why not? And I was going up to New York. So I, I, I have some knowledge of Cats. I don't mind Cats. I think it, it has no plot, but it looked cool. And it had a couple of, I thought, pretty decent songs. Now, when I heard this this morning when they were making a movie, I was like, why? And then I realized, well, they're making a movie of everything, so why the hell not? But this trailer, oh my god, I'm... I, I, apparently they decided to not use costumes, and the Uncanny Valley is now the Uncanny Grand Canyon. <laughs> I would just like to say that as happy as I was, and as happy as I always am to see that Idris Elba is in something, um, based on his clothing... He appears to be playing some sort of pussy pimp. <laughs> and Ian McKellen, Ian McKellen. Ugh. And they've got him in cat makeup, but he really just looks like Ian McKellen who just woke up. <laughs> I can't think of the name of the cat, but I know which cat that Ian McKellen is playing. And I totally buy it. His casting in this particular role is perfect because one of the cats in the play is a retired actor. He's playing Musty Manx. <laughs> I'm guessing. Judy Dench. Oh, my God. Judy Dench. Oh, oh Judy no. Dench apparently got she was cast in Cats. And then like a week before, this is a very 42nd Street story, a week before they went on, something like that, she snapped her Achilles tendon and was replaced in the show. And she said in some interview, well, I, and I thought, well, that's it for, you know, my history with cats. And now she's back looking like uh, a frightened dowager wearing a coat made from all the cats she rescued over the years. <laughs> <laughs> that she has since skinned. Yeah, she I, looks it, really. It's very, there's a very serial killer quality to her makeup. Now, now, granted, the stage, uh, the, the staging. I mean, the set also had very large pieces, but the play takes took place basically in a junkyard. This is taking place all over. So I don't know if they actually built these sets oh, or they if did. they're green. No, they, they actually they did build these giant sets. Yeah, everything is scaled up three times normal human dimension. Okay. I could not stop laughing, and I don't know if it was the the truly uncanny valley. And I'm watching it in 1080, and it and it looks horrible. Um, I wish I could have watched it in standard definition, but um, everything about this trailer just 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 made me giggle. And I, 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 as I said, I am not that drunk. This is just I cannot believe that this is a thing. Here's my impression, real quickly. Because you had that manly drink, Scott. I had that. It is. It's Hemingway's drink of choice, damn it. I am not, to quote the kids in the hall, getting girl drink drunk. <laughs> ah, nice reference. So the fact that even though these cats don't appear to be owned by anybody, I mean, they were strays in the in the play, as far as I can recall. Um, at least the males have all been neutered. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Not the same damn thing. The other thing that was somewhat encouraging was the fact that 
they kept cutting to this svelte, incredibly flexible, big-eyed, waifish kitty who, after a couple seconds, they said, well, that's clearly a ballet dancer. And she kept featuring in almost every shot. And I thought, oh, okay. So maybe they wised up and they cast a dancer in the lead role and they're going to shit can most of this horrible music. Oh, that would be w- great. It certainly seems like it because there was dialogue in the trailer and there's no dialogue in the play. Yeah, I uh, I always sort of resented Cats for the way they completely trashed the Winter Garden Theater. <laughs> and also the fact that it just ran for friggin' ever and that yes. I was living in New York when it opened. Okay. And it was inescapable. Oh, this- I can fucking thing was in escape dude when i saw it like i mean i i was i was sick of the advertising like i i was in new york for a couple of days before i actually saw the show i hung out with my uncle we went to the bronx zoo again and i was so i was sick of it before i even saw it just from the ads oh yeah was it was that the one that they said now and forever oh yes in its first year they were saying now and forever under no circumstances would be my slogan for that uh fuck off and die would also I think be preferable to now and forever. Now, like I said, like like Phantom of the Opera, there are I do think there are a couple of really good songs. Now, granted, most that's because of T.S. Eliot's poetry, but I do think that there are a couple of things that Andrew Lloyd Webber did write some very cool music for. But I don't want to see them in this movie because this 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 weird animation that makes Tarkin in Rogue One look phenomenal um, <laughs> disturbs me. Well, they're not. CGI characters they have they have a, they're wearing mocap suits and they have mm-hmm. they have CGI fur but their eyes their features are their own and so, it looks worse than Tarkin uh, oddly it does but I'm gonna go see it just because I'm hoping fingers crossed for a legendary train wreck because mo- very few people compared to the audience for a motion picture or even the average episode of a television series very few people see a Broadway show very true so I'm hoping that people's memories and associations of cats will be entirely focused on this movie and that Andrew Lloyd Webber will know that. And I hope think about it as he dies. Oh, man, that's harsh. I'm not saying you're, it's inappropriate. I'm just saying it's harsh. Then it's appropriate. All righty, then. Yeah, it's I'm. Oh, folks, if you have not seen the cats trailer, go find it if if you smoke get higher than hell because that's how the way i'm gonna be when i see this thing because oh i'm gonna see it too oh there's no question it's got to be done we've got to talk about it yeah and it's, it's coming out this year isn't it like for christmas christmas yeah i mean usually we traditionally we we've always done a star wars movie around christmas we'll be able to yeah but uh, we're going to shoehorn in cats because. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it just this this sucker. Wow. Just wow, folks. <laughs> and speaking of of CGI, like I said at the beginning, I just got back from the Lion King. You got to see it for free, right? Yes. And I had some people call me and say, hey, you want to meet us down for uh, to see the Lion King? And I said, no. And they said, we have weed and we'll pay. And I said, absolutely. And it's like triple digit temperatures where you are right now, right? Yes, yes. I am. I am. I am no longer in. I am no longer on Hoth. I am on Mustafar. (laughs) So, I mean, it was air conditioned. So there was there was beer. There was there was was beer. There there was some smoke. Not a lot, but enough to get me uh, enough to get me high enough that I can go. Okay, I'm ready for this. Now, the, the Lion King is not my favorite adaption of Hamlet. 
honestly, my favorite adaption of Hamlet is as I, I know people have issues with it, but I freaking love the Zeffirelli with Mel Gibson and Glenn Close. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. That's the worst. How could you? I, I, I don't, I don't know why. I just, I really, really loved Glenn Close's performance in it. Oh, she's good. She's, but she's always good. I mean, Mel Gibson it, was in it. Mel Gibson, Mel Gibson's tired old ass. I was, was able to, I know, I was able to ignore Mel Gibson's tired old ass because Glenn Close was doing Shakespeare. You know what I'm interested in? Because one of my favorite plays, and I read it before I saw it, and then when I saw it, I just adored it, is Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Oh, I love that show. I love that show so much. So... Backstory, I, I, I played the Player King in it twice, and I directed it once. I can see you doing the Player King. Yep, I played him twice. I, I didn't want to play him in the, in the production that I directed, but I had to get rid of the actor playing the player the, uh, week, that we, the week before we opened. Oh. Ah. That was not my decision. That was the producer's decision. But that's a story we don't need to go into. But yeah, I have I have played the Player King in RNG, one of, the favorite, one of my favorite roles I've ever done. I absolutely love that character. The thing about the Lion King that irritates me is something that many people have brought up before. So let me just pile on. This is not an original observation. But Disney going on and on and on about how this was their first original story. Oh, yep. And it was so obviously not an original and yet, story. And yet everybody complains that they stole the story from Kimba the White Lion. Fuck you. Well, Read. They, they did steal parts of Kimba the White Lion. Well, yeah, but they stole more from Hamlet. Oh, they stole the basic story, but there are lots of grace notes and, and design elements that they completely pilfer. And the guy should have sued. In fact, I think he was going to sue. Oh, really? Yeah, but he died just before oh, it oh, came out. Oh, man. Oh, man. Wow. Anyway, yeah, no, I, I never liked Lion King. I'll just be that's, honest. I never liked that's, it. That's sort of my problem, too, as I was not so much for Kimba, but I remember thinking the whole original story. Fuck you. This is Hamlet. But um, I actually the thing that I liked about The Lion King and the reason why I occasionally did do the rewatch is I fucking love Jeremy Irons' scar. Phenomenal casting. And Be Prepared is one of my favorite Disney villain songs next to Hellfire. And they uh Pretty much tossed it out the window with this, didn't they? Yes, they did. They cut it in half. They changed that. That that was my biggest pet. One of my pet. Okay, the movie. It is almost like Gus Van Zandt's Psycho. Yeah. So it's almost a shot for shot remake. Almost. They add a few things here or there. There is a scene that was cut from the original Lion King that they put in here between Scar and Sarabi, which is actually a great scene. And um, what really makes the movie and I, I, OK, I'm, I, it's a beautiful tech demo. Let's put it that way. Oh, swell. Visually, the film is absolutely amazing. You really do feel like you're watching a nature documentary. The problem with the film, at least for me, and I've, I've heard some other people have this problem too, is there is absolutely no emotion in the faces at all. It did not work for me at all. That being said, I have to give massive props to Billy Eichner and Seth Rogen. Oh my God, they are fucking hysterical. Hmm. Timon and Pumbaa once again, once again, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern steal the effing movie. I wonder if they let them uh, improv. They did. Oh. They did. I, I did find that out. That's one of the reasons why Timon and Pumbaa have, they have the most new material. Oh, okay. And unfortunately, unfortunately, a lot of that new material are fart jokes, is fart jokes. 
is our whatever. But yeah, there's a lot more fart jokes in this. You know, I was told that fart jokes are pretty much mandatory in anything targeted at kids. In fact, when I was when I was writing the reef, they wanted you to put an underwater fart joke. Yes. Oh, more than one. And I said, "Give me a minute. Maybe I can come up with something better." And they said, "No, no, no, no." This is the director saying, "Kids love fart jokes. Look at Disney movies." Yeah, there's more fart jokes than I remembered. And apparently, kids still like them. Oh yeah, because they definitely OD on the um on, on the FJs in this particular film with Pumba. But like I said, I mean, I, I the one thing that I took away from this is I would love like you the movie is going to make money because it is absolutely stunning and kids who haven't seen the anime the, the original Lion King will see this and go oh it's so cool and they'll probably get into it and they'll do a sequel like they're doing the Jungle Book 2 I really hope that instead of doing Simba's Pride they do this style for Lion King one and a half which was of course Lion King's Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead have you seen that? No, I don't know what you're talking I, about. I, they did a film called Lion King One and a Half. Okay. And it literally is, as Lion King is Hamlet, One and a Half is Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead because it's what Timon and Pumbaa are doing throughout The Lion King. Oh, okay. And how they interacted with The Lion King in ways we didn't know. And the whole time I'm watching this movie, I like Simba's Pride was a horrible sequel. It was a horrible, horrible film. Wait, there was but, a sequel? Oh, yeah. Lion King 2, Simba's Pride. Never heard of it. It was straight to video. Yeah. And you saw Sim- this? Oh, oh, absolutely. Back when it came out, it was um, Simba and Nala, you know, they're running things. And Scar apparently had like a cousin or a sister who also has a scar on her face. And there's a kid that he was grooming who also had a scar on, her fa- on his face. And the, the, the Scarette is raising this kid to like to um, to scar um, ant. So scar wait, ant. so you're telling me that scars are like they're hereditary? Yes, apparently. Uh, You've got your mother's eyes, but your father's scars. Yes. Now, Simba's pride is basically Romeo and Juliet because he winds up falling in love with one of Simba's kids. (sighs) So so that's why one and a half. So they did Hamlet. Then they did Romeo and Juliet. Then they did did Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Michael Eisner's going, wait, wait, wait. You hear that? I don't hear anything. I know. Sounds like Shakespeare's corpse has stopped spinning. Quick, find another one of his plays we can desecrate. <laughs> very true. Very, very true. But I would actually love to see this this style of animation done with Justin and Pumba and doing doing the, the one 1.5 because um, it was actually a very funny movie. Who? Believe it or not, after the uh, I mean, two was horrible, but one point five was genuinely funny. And it was also it was also unlike the Lion King and Lion King two, very meta. Okay. This is back when Disney was doing things like Pocahontas 2 and Cinderella, when they were doing straight-to-video sequels to all their animated films before they got onto the remake kick. Right. Billy Eichner and and Seth Rogen, oh my God. And like I told you in t- uh, on text after listening to the soundtrack, Billy Eichner has a phenomenal singing voice. He's a talented, talented man. He is indeed. Seth Rogen can sing. I'm impressed. I didn't know that about him. But Billy Eichner is t- is has a as a wonderful singing voice. I mean, his his lion sleeps tonight really kind of rocks. Oh, they do that, huh? 
Oh yeah, they keep they they keep that bit in, and it's actually they actually they what they do differently once again, kind of like the live action version of Aladdin. When they do things differently, it becomes interesting. Yeah, I don't want to see a, a Gus Van Zant shot for shot remake of The Lion King because I didn't like The Lion King that much to begin with, and I don't see how just improving the animation, if that's even the case. And and there's an argument that it's not because with uh, the lack of facial features, exactly I mean, all of the all of the emotion, a lot of the emotion is taken away from the lines because you don't have the facial features. Right, and I understand that that they're putting a premium on the photorealism of their renditions. That's fine, but animals have a limited number of facial muscles, and they they don't have a lot of subtle emotions that that, that humans who are cued to interpret mood from, a, from mm-hmm. facial expressions, can read. So you've really just screwed yourself out of one whole dimension of emotion in your film. And I, I think you, you're giving up way too much. I mean, they didn't do this with Frozen. They're not, they're not trying to make the people look like human beings. They are all stylized, animated characters. I don't know. They had to justify redoing the whole movie all over again. Uh, the, the reason why I say it, it, it is a glorified tech demo is I, I now I want to see a, a quote unquote original story in this animation. Good frigging luck. I know, I know, I know, I know, but it, it's it it, w- it it would be nice because I mean the, the the technology is amazing and there are some truly stunning shots. And honestly, if you like The Lion King, and I know that a lot of people love The Lion King, and if you if you love that movie, you will probably enjoy this film. So, I mean, if you are a fan of The Lion King, definitely go see it. You will probably have a great time. You, you may not even be bothered by the lack of facial features because the rest of it does look so gorgeous. And... There, there are some fun moments in it. I also really have to give out um, some some mad props to John Oliver Zazu. I didn't think anybody could like replace Rowan Atkinson. Why didn't they just get Rowan Atkinson again? I, I there is that. I'm not I'm not saying you're wrong there, but John Oliver makes the part his own. And he also does a little ad-libbing, and he's got some of the funnier lines. Now, granted, some of his lines that were actually pretty funny are just um, lines from one of the songs from the Broadway show. Oh, really? Have you heard the Broadway show at all? I have heard it on Sirius XM Broadway. Okay. Uh, I have not heard it. I have not, like, I've not sat down and listened to the score. Here's just briefly my feeling about Disney Broadway adaptations of their movies. No, 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 no. And here's why. When they introduced uh, this whole concept with Beauty and the Beast, and uh, I had a friend who knew Linda Wolverton, who I believe was a writer. Yeah. And she had gone to have lunch with her at the Royalton Hotel, I think. or The Royalton or the Algonquin? One of those hotels. Uh, Linda Wolverton slapped down a credit card and said, it's on the mouse. Nice. Yes. So my friend said, well, we can probably get... I think I can get tickets. And I said, I don't want to go see that a Broadway adaptation of Beauty and the Beast because it's wrong. It's morally wrong. This flies in the face of tradition because when you have an animated feature that's an enormous success, and, and it was what? It was nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture. I mean, it was it was well-received critically, and it was a huge hit with audiences. I get that. But when you've got an animated film from time immemorial, that's a huge popular and critical success. 
you don't put it on stage. You put it on ice. <laughs> don't make me listen to this shit on Broadway. No, I'll go down to the sports arena and I'll watch people in beasts costumes ice skating around while the score is played over the loudspeakers. That's the way things are supposed to be done. Now, I, I, I do have to say the one thing that I will say as far as the whole, uh, you know, theatrical adaptions go. I, I agree with you for the most part, maybe not for the ice thing, but um, the, 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 the theatrical adaptions did give us, though it never went to Broadway for, for, for reasons, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which I thought was fucking brilliant. You saw it? Well, I I saw YouTube. The two different theaters where it played in California, they 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 tape they tape both shows. God bless YouTube pirates. I, but in this case, in this case, yes, because I would n- I would never have seen the show. And honestly, it's it's fucking brilliant. And I say that I say that as somebody who who can conceivably lose. I mean, I get royalties for movies I've worked on, right. so I am not in any way advocating people torrent stuff. No. If you can buy it. But if yes. it's something that is not available, that was never released in the U.S., or something like a play that never made it to Broadway and someone's got a tape of an out-of-town tryout, then yes, that's what YouTube is for. This this is, should be YouTube's new slogan. YouTube. A lot of it's piracy. It's not all about Nazis. <laughs> like, like I told the Blanche, I think I, I think we I talked on, on a new movie crew episode about this in particular. The one thing that they did that was absolutely brilliant was they they made the gargoyles in Quasimodo's head like that poor asshole doesn't have enough problems. He's deformed. He's deaf. He's in love with a girl who's never going to give him a tumble. And he's he's psychotic, too. That well, that's another unfair. reason why it, that's another reason why it never got to Broadway, because it is an incredibly dark show. And also the one thing that it did that that, that made me exceptionally happy. The team that wrote the songs for the movie wrote the songs for the play. So it was the original composer of the film, expanded it for the theatrical experience. And they made the opening song, The Bells of Notre Dame, not so much about Quasimodo, but it was about Frollo. You get Frollo's backstory. Frollo becomes like a much, like a very major character, and it, it completely works. I freaking loved the, 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 the theatrical version of Hunchback. I love the movie version of Hunchback, too, except for the fucking gargoyles. Right. Well, remember we were talking about Aladdin. We were talking about yep. Mulan and how Iago doesn't talk in Aladdin. Mm-hmm. There's no Mushu in uh, Mulan. That's the way Disney's going. And uh, I have mixed feelings about it. Like, for instance, I don't love the Disney Hercules movie, but I love what they did with the Greek chorus. Absolutely. It was was like it was like a Motown girl group. That was genius. I'm not a big fan of Hercules either. But in addition to the girl group, I love the fact that the love song is about not wanting to be in love. Yes. There's a scene in A Lonely Place where Humphrey Bogart is playing this troubled screenwriter is sitting in the kitchen with Gloria Graham. And he's talking about writing love scenes. And he goes, you never said a love scene in a romantic place. It would just be two people in like a kitchen, middle of the day, and one of them is making toast. And we're not even talking about romance. But you you look at the two of us, and you can tell that we're in love. That's like a master class in working romance into something. People are, not, people are not very honest about their feelings. And they often 
or at least honest with the people they care the most about. So I like love songs and I like love scenes that are oblique, that come at it from an unexpected angle, because that's my experience that that most mirrors life. But I I do. I do remember, like I said, that that song came on. I won't. I think the song is called I Won't Say I'm in Love is the name of the song from Hercules. And I remember going. All right, they're 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 doing something a little bit different here. That's kind of cool. Then we have another live action Disney film because I'm in addition to Mulan because we've got another Maleficent movie coming up. Don't care, don't care. I just they 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 just 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 stop, just stop, please. (laughs) Why? Let's let's remake some of their. If they're gonna do remakes, when are we gonna get the, the remake of Bed Knobs and Broomsticks? I mean, we already got the remake of Mary Poppins. Don't touch bedknobs and broomsticks it's perfect besides i mean who are the i mean who who are you going to get to replace uh, angela lansbury taylor swift nobody there is no replacement for angela lansbury that's why it's perfect now maleficent isn't exactly a remake it's not a remake maleficent is a little is a little bit like rosencrantz and gildenstern are dead with no sense of humor (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, that's 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 pretty much it. That's pretty. Oh, wait a minute! I know who they could get to replace um, Angela Lansbury. Who? I can't. Oh Lord, I can't think of her name. But she played um, another very famous Broadway star. She she played Mrs. Lovett in the revival of Sweeney Todd. She did Evita. She's been in pretty much everything on Broadway. That doesn't help at all. Oh God, Judy something. I think her name is Judy K. No, no, no. Oh, damn it. Oh, this is going to bug me. I'll let you know in the next episode. We're going to do another episode post-Comic-Con. I'll figure out the name by then. But for right now, it's her. Uh, I'm not saying she should. I'm just saying, I mean, they used her to replace Angela Lansbury and everything else she did on stage. Okay. Fuck you. (laughs) I am. I'm kidding, of course. Find the name. No, I don't care about that. It's the name. Now this is going to drive me insane. Uh, hold on, hold no, on. Right. Give me two seconds here. Go ahead. Google away. All right. I'm I, I am Googling. So while I am Googling, you go you start talking about the first Comic Con trailer that you watched. Uh, it was um Top Gun Two because I really wanted to see just how bad Val Kimmer looks and whether he had indeed gained a kilo of Kilmer. And he, and we didn't even see him. We didn't see him. He is oh, invisible. By the way, Patty Lapone. That's who I meant. Oh Jesus, Patty Lapone. Patty Lapone was Evita. She didn't replace people. Patty Lapone was a huge, legitimate Broadway star. I th- almost said Patty Lapone, and I thought, no, you can't mean her. She is one of the great divas of Broadway. Yes, I know, but I mean, she. Re- uh, but she, she, she did replace uh, Angela Lansbury, and when they when they brought Sweeney Todd back, that's all I meant. All right, I find that dissatisfying, but all right, at fine. Least- how do you get Judy out of Patty? I don't know. I think I was thinking Judy Kuhn. I don't know. I don't even know where that name came from. I don't know who what the I hell was is thinking. Judy Kuhn. Should I know who uh, Judy Kuhn is? Probably not. You might as well have said Judy Chicago. At least. Hey, at least I didn't say Judy Bloom. <laughs> that would have been really confusing. Ramona goes to the theater. <laughs> <laughs> there, I made it up for the Patty Lapone gap. Anyway, on to Maverick. That was a boring trailer. God, yes. Oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, I enjoyed Top Gun as a block of tangy, wholesome Wisconsin cheddar cheese. It was stupid, but fun. And 
well, it was fun except for one thing. I went to see it with my sister and I think my stepbrother. I was just kind of thought it was funny and hilariously homoerotic. That's what that's the one thing I've only seen it like twice. I saw it once in the theater and then once a few a few years later. And that was the only thing that I could remember is, OK, wh- when is the gay orgy going to start? Right. Especially after the volleyball game. Oh, I thought the volleyball game was the gay orgy. <laughs> that's how I. But but there's so there's the scene where he and Kelly McGillis have sex in silhouette because they realized from test audiences that they needed a love scene and they brought them back for reshoots and her hair was a different color because she was in another movie at that point i so, heard about this yes i did hear about this so they did they bathed the scene in blue light and they're the sex mostly involves them licking each other so my sister and i who were trying to get we were trying to get my dad to get out of the house and we said hey let's i bet you'd like this dad it's like a military thing you were in the military so we dragged my stepmom and my dad to go see top gun and everything was fine until we got to that scene and then i i I said to my sister oh they really should have called this top tongue (laughs) and i had to leave and like i went and got a completely unwanted coca-cola because i i did not want to sit next to my dad while two people were licking each other I just didn't. It, it, I, I understand. No, I mean, you know, I, that's that's my big memory of Top Gun. But it was a stupid movie, but a fun movie. And I have no quarrel with that. I am absolutely team stupid, but fun movie. Absolutely. This, I feel like the, the stupid vibe is strong. I'm feeling the stupid. I'm not feeling the fun. I would love to have seen just like a quick shot of the physical shambles that is Val Kilmer. Instead, we got the sad physical shambles that is Ed Harris. That one shot of him, I thought he looked like Grandpa from the Texas Chainsaw Well, they were shooting him in very unflattering light. That is true. And I think that was just to make Tom Cruise look slightly younger. That is also probably very true. (laughs) Here's the problem I have. The fact that Maverick is whatever. He's like, you've been 30 plus years of service. All right, well... Then he's 50-something at least. He's not flying fighters. They're not going to let him take G-forces. He's going to shit his pants. He'd be a kilo of Kilmer. He exactly. I mean, Tom Cruise is in good shape. I give him credit. But no. It's what just got me. It was just It was just dull. It was just a, it was just a dull trailer. Is he trailer. fighting somebody? Are they fighting people? They're just flying around. At it literally he, just seemed like all that trailer was, was here's Tom Cruise. Here's the bike. Here's him riding the bike. Remember Top Gun? Here's all this famous stuff. Oh, they're not playing volleyball here. They're going to play football. Oh, and there, and here's a bunch of guys singing, probably off key. We're not going <clears> to <throat> let you listen to them. But it's just like that scene where uh, Anthony Edwards? Yeah, Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards and Tom Cruise horribly, horribly serenade kelly mcgillis with you've lost that love and feeling in a bar and the great thing about that scene and they'll never capture this lightning in a bottle again is when you watch that scene and i actually rewatched it recently because i wrote about the movie in the middle of that scene when when they kind of reach the crescendo of you've lost that love and feeling Mm -hmm. you can actually see the moment when she becomes a lesbian There's a time counter on it, eh? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> oh man but yeah that was that was and i know i've i've been seeing some reactions on the social media where people are, are so excited about about this film now and how are they really that tra- yes that they loved that trailer and i'm like okay let's talk about nostalgia porn shall we but okay hey you do you uh, there wasn't anything in that that looked even remotely interesting or fun to me. But I'm whatever. It's the first trailer, and it's Comic Con sneaks are always deceptive. Sometimes badly deceptive. Like there was that great uh, Suicide Squad trailer. Yep. That looked funny, and then they showed it to people, and they go, "Well, it's deceptive, but we'll put, get butts and seats." And then people really responded to it, and they go, "Oh shit! I guess we need to reshoot everything, so it's not this." stupid doer piece of crap that we were making maybe the second trailer will will like if we once we get a plot maybe that will add to it i don't know but that that that, that first trailer really did absolutely nothing for me and well, i am very surprised by the people who were just going oh my god i can't wait ah this is one that i i probably won't see i i just I oh i'm gonna it. go see it if only because uh, I am a connoisseur of bad movies. Do, do we know that Kilo, that, that Kilmer and his extra kilos are in the film? Had Do we know he's been cast, or were you, were you just hoping? That's what I've heard. Oh, okay. All right. But I haven't seen confirmation. I haven't seen him in a trailer. I mean, he could be cast and then cut. You never know what's going to wind up in the final cut of a film. And having worked on some movies and mm-hmm. having thought, oh, this is going to be a trailer moment. And then not only is it not in the trailer, but they cut it from the fucking movie. It's like, okay, I know nothing. And I I accept that. And I am moving on with my life. Speaking of moving on, second trailer. Oh, Jesus. Are we only on the second trailer? Wait, we've talked about Cats. We've talked about Top... Oh, Jesus. And The what Lion else? King. We just started getting into the trailer. Uh, what what else is left? What else? Do, there was another third one. What was the other one? I don't know. I, the, uh, well, well, see, the three trailers that I watched were it was Top Gun, It Chapter 2, oh, and then Jay and okay. Silent Bob Reed. Can I, I, let me just say this. After having seen the It trailer? Yeah. Not It. <gasps> Didn't like that one either, huh? No. And the thing is, I went into It fully expecting to hate it, as I have hated every single adaptation of a Stephen King novel. And I didn't hate It. And, and the, the weird thing is... This really rankled me, okay. and yet everyone I've talked to, including I'm th- pretty sure you, said the adult part of it was better than the. No, part. I hate the adult part. Okay, okay, reverse. No, Never mind. This, is, reverse. this is the part that I have no desire to see. The only reason I'm even going to see this is because I like the first film so much, okay. and it's the same director and the same writer. So I'm like, okay, maybe you can make this part interesting. I'm interested to see how they're going to adapt this. I mean, I'm going into this with very low expectations. Like I said, I do not like this part of the story at all. That being said, there are some visual images in the trailer that I actually liked. Like what? I really did like the whole that the 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 the, the Hall of Mirrors sequence. I I did not. It was okay. I, I thought that was stupid. I, maybe it's just because I've seen too many Hall of Mirrors. I mean, it goes back to Lady from Shanghai, and then right. Enter the Dragon. It's like, how many more of these do we need? How many more of these are we allowed? Three. Oh, okay. 
Well, it just got another wire then. All right, I, re- <laughs> I, I withdraw my complaint. No, I, mean, I, I, I will not say it's not a trope because you're right, it is a trope. But I just thought that I liked the way that particular scene was staged. Um, and I really liked that first teaser trailer with with um, Jessica Chastain's character meeting the old, with the old lady. That was very unsettling. And I also liked the, the last shot in this uh, the Comic-Con trailer where it looks like What's his name? Bill Skarsgård? Is that his yes. name? Yes. Is being possessed. It's like he's, it looks like he's just a guy. Yeah. And he's getting possessed by whatever this evil force is. Like I said, I mean, this one, I mean, the only reason I am seeing the it is because I enjoyed the first film. I mean, I, 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 I'm going into this going, okay, you've got, you, you have a lot of work to do to impress me with this one. <laughs> it was easier with the first film. This one, you're going to have to work for it. But I like the cast. And I like Jessica Chastain, and I like James McAvoy. So, I mean, we got three people that I like. And, I mean, Bill Skarsgård did a phenomenal job as Pennywise in the first film. So I'm more than willing to watch him play the clown again. Like you said, I'm going to see the it. It's like, I am in favor of any movie that includes definite articles and pronouns. (laughs) I will see the it. I will... I will. I will even see indefinite articles. I will even see a it. You will see indefinite. I will not. Come on, you, no, you because no, because that sounds okay. that sounds too much like a Christopher Nolan joint. The sequel to Inception. Exactly. Indefinite. <laughs> but no, I mean this one. I it's, I liked. I I enjoyed this trailer more than than Maverick and a hell of a lot more than Cats. But again, I'm just going into this going. This is not, this is, I did not like this part of the story. So please, God, let me like this. Feel free to win me over. You know what? I liked it okay. I liked it fine. That was the first, with the exception of the uh, the Shining, that was probably the first adaptation of a Stephen King movie I've liked. But The Shining, I feel weird about because Stephen King hates it. And speaking of which, spe- okay, we got to make a quick, quick uh, side tangent here. You saw the Dr. Sleep trailer when it got released, right? No. Oh, dude. Okay. So before I saw the Dr. Sleep trailer, Stephen King has gone on the Twitter sphere talking about how excited he is for this film. Well, that means shit because he has terrible taste in movies. Have you seen the movies he's worked on? He has terrible taste in films. Mike, Mike Flanagan, who did the absolutely fucking amazing Haunting of Hill House on Netflix, wrote and directed this. So, I mean, it's got a phenomenal writer-director, and here's the thing. Um, and also, Ewan McGregor is playing the adult Danny. But here's the thing. This, this is what blew my mind when I watched the trailer. Is there any real difference between Ewan McGregor and James McAvoy? I mean, Yes, Ewan, we... McGregor sh- Ewan McGregor shows his dick in films a lot more than James McAvoy does. There's the big difference. Okay. All right, because I was thinking, do we really need both of them? Can't we just, like, lay one of them off? No, but no, no. We, we need we need both of them because we don't get a lot of we don't get a lot of full frontal male nudity, and you and McGregor loves flashing his lightsaber. So I'm like, more power to you, dude. But um, people, this is why it's important to have at least one gay person on your podcast. Let me just tell you because this is a perspective. This has opened my eyes. All right. And but the thing that got me about the trailer was it's not just adapting the book; he's adapting the movie. What? Because that when they when they showed flashes of the Overlook, it's the Overlook from the film. They use the music oh. from the movie. It's an adaption of the book and the film. Well, that's delightfully confusing. 
Exactly. Now, supposedly, Doctor Sleep is a good book, and who knows? Maybe after I watch the film, I'll go back and uh, and read the book. But knowing what Mike Flanagan does, especially after Haunting of Hill House, I want to see the film first. I want to see his film because, like I said, I mean, we got you and McGregor, and also just the fact that he's doing a pseudo sequel to the film. I mean, the first time they show like a flashback to Danny, and he's got the haircut, and he's riding around the Overlook, and it's the same fucking carpet that was in the film. They recreated the Overlook almost exactly for these scenes. Mm. And there's this amazing shot in the trailer where adult Danny is um, looking through the uh, hole in the door where the Here's Johnny scene happened. Really? They never repaired that in over 40 years? The hotel is, no, the hotel has been, is destroyed. Oh. It's, 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 it's all, it's wrecked. Okay. But that it was a beautiful shot. And then the very end of the trailer, when you see Dr. Sleep and the title appears, they use the music from the movie. And it, it I will admit, not only was my jaw dropped, but I got a little chill. So I'm like, this this could be a, 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 a fun little film. But, um, okay, what was the third trailer you watched? Uh, it. Okay, so you didn't watch the Jay and Silent Bob reboot trailer. The what? But Kevin Smith's new film, no, Jay and Silent Bob. I don't Bob's give a shit. Trailer. I've never liked it. I've never ever liked a Kevin Smith movie. I like okay. him personally. Okay. I like him as a raconteur, as a storyteller. I don't like his movies. Understood. He uh, his films are definitely a, a an acquired taste. Um, I know a lot of people are ragging on it uh, on the Twitter sphere. My response was, okay, this is pretty much just like Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Why are they ragging on it? Because they just didn't think it was funny. So it's like all of his other movies. But I'm bummed, shing. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was. I just kind of sat there going, "All right, I, I, I see what I see what Smith is going for here." Kind of like what he did with the first film. This film, he's going meta on sequels and reboots, and he may have something interesting to say with, with within all of the dick and fart jokes. We shall see. My favorite Kevin Smith film, I still think his best film is Dogma. I fucking love Dogma. I adore Dogma. I've never I have seen it. I think it's 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 some I think it's some of Matt Damon and Ben Affleck's best work. I love what he say what he said what he has to say about religion, mm-hmm. and I think it actually has ultimately a very positive. It, you know, as much as his humor is in, he actually says some very positive and interesting things about religion in the film. Hmm. Which is why I think people don't like it as much because in in it, with all the traditional Kevin Smith stuff, he's actually trying to say something with dogma. Well, there's his mistake. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, then, on that note, we are going to put this much longer than I was expecting little shorty to rest. Um, we will be back in a few days with the with, with the Comic-Con Roundup, where we will probably be bitching about a lot more things that they show. <laughs> and by a few days, we mean a few seconds. Few days. Yes, indeed.
No, 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 no. Not funny. Not funny at all. Stop it. Just stop. Yeah. I thought it was kind of Yeah, you're 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 kind of a crappy mood. What happened? You're a, a you're a bastard. Well, yeah. B, it's that cat's trailer and C, during the freaking break, I got an email. My gay card's been revoked. What? Can oh be- yeah, I have to be I have to be straight now. It's official. I I've been kicked out because I couldn't remember what's what's her name. Oh, yeah, I've heard about that. Apparently, it's a it's a whole big deal. Uh, this is just the beginning, getting the card revoked, because there's going to be a whole ceremony. It's sort of like the opening credits of that old Chuck Connors series, Branded, you know, where he, he played a disgraced cavalry officer in the Old West. And so you're going to be standing there while a, while a drum plays and a high-ranking gay, I mean, like one of the really top village people, will like tear the buttons off your jacket and break your sword over your knee while the theme song plays, you know, it's like, Branded, abandoned, and alone. What do you do when you're branded? Because you can't remember Patty Lupone. I think that's how it goes. That's her name. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not allowed to go to any more Broadway shows. The only camp that I am allowed now is the Brady Bunch Variety Hour. Oh, ah, that seems harsh. Yeah. Although I might just, you know, I might occasionally sneak some gayness in. Like, I'm going to try and go see Spider-Man again this weekend. It's a stare at Jake Gyllenhaal. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully so, I won't get arrested. Uh, as the 2020 election heats up, I, I think it's interesting you say that because um, I'm going to sneak some gay in. Is the new Republican a slogan? <laughs> I am not touching that one with an eight-inch penis. Okay, folks, welcome back to part two. It is actually several days later, and Comic-Con is over. I believe that the, the convention center has been fumigated, and life is moving on, and we have a lot more fan-geeky shit to talk about. Yes, we do. And um, I, I want to start with, just because I was very surprised you watched it, the Picard trailer. Why are you surprised I watched it? I, knowing your hatred of Jean-Luc Picard, I honestly didn't think you would be touching anything with this series with an eight foot, with an eight inch penis. Okay. So Let, I was very surprised. All right. Okay. It's not entirely an unfair description, but let me clarify for the record. I do not hate Picard. I just find him an insufferable prig and a humorless, long-winded, self-satisfied asshole who lives for the sound of his own voice and thinks any problem can be solved with a camera-hogging, 10-minute inspirational tongue-lashing from yours truly. Uh, Actually, I guess I do hate him. That sounds like someone you hate. Okay. Yeah, it does. Yes. I see. I was right. Yeah. Okay. Now, here, now the interesting. Now, I am not like I said. I, I. It took me a while to like Star Trek: The Next Generation, and after a while, I did get into it. I actually don't mind Picard. I thought. He, I thought he was a more interesting character than Kirk, honestly. Although, again, my favorite captain is still the now God Benjamin Sisko, but that's neither here nor there. The point is, we had the first trailer for um, Picard the series that dropped, and. Um, I'm genuinely surprised by how into it I was. I have to admit I am too. I really, really liked that trailer. There was a sense of mystery about it. Um, Although (laughs) the one scene that made me think of you. (laughs) <laughs> when, when when I went on the trailer, that as soon as the scene popped up, I did. I thought of you, and I'm so happy you responded to it in the text. The data drawer. 
Yes. Yes, as you pointed out in a text, he keeps data in a drawer because he's an asshole. Oh, and, to and, be fair, to be fair, we don't know if the data drawer is actually Picard's. It looked like there was somebody else there, so he might actually be Starfleet. I, maybe Starfleet's keeping data in a drawer, and, but it'll be funnier if it's Picard's data drawer. Oh, I think it's it, it's Picard's data drawer. First of all, Picard's just uh, so anal. And look, he's, it's all it's it's all or, he's got a, a data drawer body part organizer in there. I mean, everything is like fit into little like vacuum formed sections for the for the various limbs and the head and the torso. But the, the hilarious thing about that is that okay, he's he's had data in a drawer for twenty years, um, and data is someone he likes. Data was a was a friend. Imagine what Picard does to people who he doesn't like. I bet there are freezers. In his basement, stuffed with the dismembered remains of, you know, wine wholesalers or traveling cork salesmen or... And Barkley. Yeah, well, sure. <laughs> but, I, but like I said, I, I was I was really into that trailer. Um, it, it was nice seeing Starfleet not in the past. Yes. And it was said at the panel that the first season is very serialized, going to be a story arc over the entire season, which I am totally down for. I was intrigued by I was very intrigued by the one shot of the Borg. And then, of course, there is the stunt casting. Um, It was shown in the trailer that uh, Jerry Ryan has returned as Seven of Nine. Which they which they did after they showed the board cube. So I was like, okay, that kind of makes sense. And then not on not at the panel, but on Twitter, both Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis announced that they were going to be on Picard. So we're going to have seven of nine data and Riker and Troy. I, I gotta tell you that when I saw the board cube, I just heaved a big old sigh. I thought, no, no, really? I really we're going back to this. All right. But I, I, I had the same reaction as, as soon as I saw that that made that made sense that that they were bringing back seven of nine boners on a scale of 10. Well, while I didn't get a boner for seven of nine during during the series, though, I will admit she was very, very attractive in her little skin tight suit. I found her character arc actually kind of interesting. And I did like her relationship with Janeway. And I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of intrigued to see what she's been doing in the, in the years since they've gotten home. Yeah, I, I didn't watch her for the eye candy either, because, yes, it was the 90s. Yes, we were all on dial up, but you could get porn. You still could get porn. <laughs> Very true. So, but I did like the character and I am, I am interested to see what her personality is like after she has lived among humans for the past 20 years. I, I'm fine with seeing uh, Troy and um, Riker. Riker, yeah. Yep. Um, part of me is so tired of nostalgia, but the other part of me realizes that that's a big part of the reason I'm going to watch it. Because there, there were episodes of, of uh, The Next Generation. Oh, let, let me be. Am I being generous or am I being honest? I can't even tell anymore. There were seasons I liked. Absolutely. And there were episodes in seasons I disliked. Absolutely. Were, I still say that Measure of a Man was a brilliant piece of science fiction. I loved it, that episode. It was, it was a good episode and it harkened back to what I liked about Star Trek. So it was it was one of the first episodes that made, oh, well, maybe this isn't just something I'm watching because there's a dearth of sci-fi on TV and this is basically what I get. This could actually be Star Trek. So that was the episode that did it for me. 
Okay. And and remember, as I've said many times, I was not a fa- I'm not a big fan of the original Star Trek. So I mean, yeah, that was the first episode where I went, okay, this is this is kind of like with about a girl in um, the Orville, which was very much measure of a man ish. I was like, okay, this show's finally doing something interesting to me. The one thing that I rem- I still remember to this day, I haven't watched the episode in, in a while, but I still remember, you know, uh, Riker being the uh, prosecutor in the case and his big speech. And like Pinocchio, you can ch- you can cut his strings and turning data off. And I was like, ow, <laughs> that was a phen- that was a that was a very powerful moment for me in that show back then. I, I kind of wanted at some point. Uh, for them to be visited by an all automaton race, sort of like the Kalon in in the Orville, uh, who arrived to arrest uh, Riker for murder. I know. <laughs> no, he's fine. No, you rebooted him. You, that's murder. Where we come from. Your punishment is you must babysit Tweaky for two years. Oh, see again. That's that seems way too harsh. <laughs> so i mean like i said i have to admit i mean i was planning on at least checking out picard before i saw the trailer but now that i've seen the trailer i am actually while not as excited as i am for the section 31 show i am actually now excited for picard i will watch picard understood but you are excited for the section 31 show yes i'm excited based on what i know and, well, um, Michelle, Yeoh, I mean that alone is going to be worth it. I mean, Mich- Michelle Yeoh is kind of my favorite captain. I under and I totally understand why. <laughs> yeah, this, let me. This will be my final word on Picard because I know I bitch on him a lot. I do not like Picard as a character, but that's a sign of how interesting a character Picard is because he is he is ostensibly heroic, but he is a deeply flawed, fucked up socially inept individual who can only relate to people from a position of power, but feels bad about it. Now I will. And my last word on Picard before we, before we jump um, genres for a second is that over the course of the series, some pretty fucked up stuff happened to Picard. Let's see the inner light when he lived that entire lifetime in the space of however many seconds he was out. And then there was the two part where he was viciously tortured by the Cardassians. I mean, he did get fucked up. Granted. Yeah. But I mean, he was he was fucked up to begin with. I mean, when you first meet him, that is very true. He's a he he's He's a dick. He's some dick. He I don't even know if he's a dick. I think he's somewhere on the autism spectrum. (laughs) Because he reminds me of a boss I had who who had Asperger's and. Picard really is not trying to socialize with him. It's an uncomfortable experience for everybody. But that was, I think, part of his arc. Because if you remember at the end of All Good Things, when he finally joined the poker game, he says, this is something I should have done a long time ago. Yes. And I I thought that that was deliberate given where he started from. Yes. But given also how hard it is for people to really change fundamentally, my feeling was... He said those words. Everyone had a warm, fuzzy awe moment. And then like half an hour later, everyone's going like, oh, I'm really glad you didn't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you did it now. This was a mistake. You suck at poker. You suck at poker and you're really not fun to be around. <laughs> well, now switching genres, another big announcement, an announcement that I am both excited and somewhat reticent about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Halloween. You mean Halloween's. It- Halloween's, yes, yes, yes. Um, it had been rumored for a while that there was a possibility that that um, 
that there was going to be two sequels shot back to back to the 2018 Halloween. And it, it was officially revealed that there will be, in fact, two sequels. Um, the writers, uh, uh, Danny McBride and the guy who directed it, are doing the two sequels. Jamie Lee Curtis is back. All the, the original, ca- the, well, the original for this reboot cast is back. And we have next year, we will have Halloween Kills. And then the year after that, we will have Halloween Ends. Uh, John Carpenter is working with them on both films. It's encouraging. We may actually get Carpenter scores for this entire trilogy, which really makes me happy. But now here's the theory. Well, I am excited because I really, really enjoyed 2018. And any chance to watch uh, Jamie Lee Curtis play Laurie Strode just makes me happy. I was really kind of hoping that this would kind of end it. It felt like this was a nice way to end it, especially with that final shot of, um, you know, the granddaughter holding the bloody knife and you kind of got the Halloween for the evil has passed on kind of vibe a little bit. And I was like, okay, this would be a nice kind of slightly spooky place to end it. But no, Michael's going to be back. And I trust these people. I do. I trust these people because they made a phenomenal film. They did. I absolutely, I, I love that movie almost as much as I love the original um, Halloween, which really surprised me. But then I'm still going two films. I really hope you guys have a plan, and I really hope with Halloween ends like Carpenter won after the first Halloween, Michael Myers is done. I, Michael Myers is not going to be done, and I'll tell you why. Because they, they're going to make money. They may or may not make money. But uh, Michael is now 65. He qualifies for Medicare. So he's going to get whatever they do to him. They're gonna, he's going to be able to get it repaired at a reasonable cost. <laughs> nice. I'm with you. I am very happy to see Jamie Lee Curtis back in this iconic role. I, I liked what they did with her. I, I liked how they trashed all of the continuity from the previous films. My only hope is that when Laurie returns, that this time she's learned something and can come up with a less Rube Goldbergian plan for dealing with Michael that is not just 31 flavors of stupid and dumb luck. <laughs> you are not wrong. You, 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 you are not wrong there. I, I do, I do agree with you on that, but I, I do, I hope, I hope that with Halloween ends that the, that Michael Myers will be put to rest for a while. And if they have to keep doing Halloweens, let's do John Carpenter's original idea and do an anthology. I know it will never happen, but it would, it would just make, I'd love to see it. I'll tell you what, if they ever took it to streaming, then that's exactly what you'd get. And it would probably be successful. They won't do it for movies there there's too much insecurity in executives and there's too much querulousness from the marketing department well how do we sell this we don't have our main key characters and what are you going to put on the poster and it th- that's not ever going to happen as, as good an idea as that is now if indeed if indeed they they, they do 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 huh, another uh michael myers reboot after halloween ends i hope they do one film in between that and that is mcbride and the director i can't think of his name um doing a remake of halloween three season of the witch and you just you've got such a hard on for that movie it's it's a good well okay it is an enjoyable film all right I do. I did. I liked it. And I was one of the people that loved the idea of, even back then, of the anthology. Now, granted, I read the book before I saw the movie. 
Okay. Because they had released the book, of course, before the film came out. So I knew going into it that it wasn't Michael Myers. So I was prepared for it. Ah, okay. And I walked out going, holy shit, Connell Cochran is a phenomenal villain. And I'm sorry, uh, I, I can't think of the name of the actor. He also played Grig in The Last Starfighter. Daniel O'Hurley. Oh, Dan Hurley. Yes, he was. Also- I can remember him, but I can't remember Patty Lapone. Oh, you vey. But um, <laughs> he was in RoboCop. He was the yes. like, head of the uh, multinational yes. corporation. Dick, you're fired. But uh, his speech about Sam um, Sam Hain Sowen in Halloween Three is just a phenomenally creepy, eerie speech. Yeah, he's actually uh, th- there's a movie, and I'm sure you've seen it called Invasion USA. Not the Chuck oh, Norris uh-huh. one. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Okay, yes. It, but it, it's also an anti-commie uh, paranoid thriller from the 1950s. Stars Gerald Moore. I think Peggy Castle's in it. It um, was on MST3K, I believe, MS- it in was. one of the seasons. I right. can't remember if it was – was it was that a Joel or a Mike episode? I believe it's a Mike. I believe it's a season okay. six. Okay, I and think you're right on that one. As a bunch of people who are just too caught up in their own little petty problems to fight communism on an exhausting daily basis, and they're all sitting in a bar together, and Dan O'Hurley he comes in and he's he's just listening to them squabble or complain, and he hypnotizes them by swirling his snifter of brandy around and ha- makes them have an anti-commie nightmare. I and, forgot he was the one that gave them all the nightmare. Holy shit. And it, it, it's a ridiculous movie and it's it's an idiotic role and it's a it's an intensely stupid storytelling device. But Dan Hurley manages to be oddly sinister. He's the only person in that movie that you believe. And uh, it's like, OK, well, uh, the the fantasy you gave them was idiotic. But I believe that if somebody could give someone a f- idiotic fantasy, you're the man for the job. So, yeah, you know what could have stopped communism back then? Uh, what? Radar. Radar. Sorry, there, there's an MST deep cut for you, folks. Oh yeah, Radar Secret Service. That's what a lot of people don't remember. <laughs> but okay, bouncing around again. Um, th- of course, the the the, the biggest news. To come out of Comic Con was the Marvel panel. Oh yeah, at Hall H, where um, Marvel's Phase Four was finally unveiled. Uh, several epi- several streaming shows will be on Disney Plus. Uh, let's see here. There is the Falcon and the Snowman. I mean, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh-huh. Somebody else made that joke, and I liked it, so I shamelessly stole it. Right. There is um, Hawkeye. What? There's Wandavision. Well, I was going to get to WandaVision because that leads to what I'm one of the things I'm most excited about. Well, what's interesting is that it, they're all these. Some of these shows are are ocular related. Hawkeye, WandaVision. It's like, am I going to need special glasses to watch these? Yes, because Disney Plus will only be in 3D. Ah, screw them. <laughs> but I'm actually I'm actually excited for Hawkeye because I think it's about time he got his due. And I'm glad and I'm glad that they're keeping Jeremy Rain, Jeremy Renner. And also they're introducing a character named Kate Bishop, who if you uh, who if you know anything about the Hawkeye um, comic book, she's a really cool character. So I'm very excited to see her. And then, of course, there is WandaVision, which at first I was not that interested in. I mean, I would have watched it anyway. I was going to just because it was on Disney Plus and it was a Marvel show. And I actually do like Kate Olsen as the Scarlet Witch. But then I found out that it definitely does take place after Endgame, uh, and obviously Paul Bettany is in it. 
and the events of WandaVision tie directly into Doctor Strange 2, which has the most mind-blowing title, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I God, mean, I fucking love that title. That That is pure Lovecraft, that title. Mm-hmm. And even better, what makes me even more excited is I watched the Doctor Strange part of the Hall H panel and Scott Derrickson, who did a phenomenal job directing the first Doctor Strange, came out, who is also directing the second one. And he said that um, they're still going to keep the humor, but the only only way he would come back, he kind of pulled a Tim Burton, the only way with Batman, the only way he would come back is if he could do something different. He didn't want to do the same thing. So in in the multiverse of madness we are getting marvel's first horror film i have heard that too and i'm going to make a statement mark my words people uh unless i'm totally wrong in which case kind of just don't bring it up again it's not going to be a horror movie uh a lot of people are saying that because derrickson has a horror background uh has made horror movies there's no way that marvel disney is going to make a horror movie they are going to make a scary movie that's well. He did say he did say that. Um, I think I think the words that he said uh, in uh, in the Hollage panel was that yeah um, that he he wanted to make it scary. It's gonna be although scary. I'm all I'm I will double check, but I could have sworn that he says that that we're making the first Marvel horror movie. Uh, he can say whatever he wants, but he doesn't, point. He doesn't have final cut. He works for the mouse, and the, that it, is a valid point. It's going to be scary, like the black oh, hole was scary. <laughs> that that was scary for more aesthetic reasons than anything else. No, it's going to be scary the way the Haunted Mansion ride was scary when you were like seven years old. It's like spooky and then something jumps out at you. It's going to be like that. It's not going to be... Because horror movies to me, horror doesn't work if it's just scares. That's just a scary movie, which is right. fine. I'm, I'm all for a, a scary movie. Horror movies are movies that get inside your brain and work, uh, work on your psyche and Agreed. stick there. Agreed. We're not going to get that. But I'm all for, uh, given how successful Marvel has been mixing uh, superheroes with other genres, I am all for a Marvel scary movie. And I think Doctor Strange is the absolute perfect vehicle for that. And I'm very happy he's getting together with Wanda, who, you know, basically is an overpowered, world-killing psychotic who can change... Shape reality. Shape reality with a word. So. Here is and here and here is and considering they said that um, WandaVision leads directly into the multi uh, the multiverse of madness, I have a prediction here. And I'm sure other people are thinking this too. But um, as as people as readers of the comics know, there have been several stories where Wanda has created whole different uh, universes on her own. I mean, hell, she created fake kids for her and Vision. Right. And I have I had heard that um, there was going to be a fifties vibe to this to WandaVision, at least in the beginning. So I will bet that in that that Wanda has created a perfect little idyllic existence for her and Vision. Now maybe and and I'll bet you it's gonna be human vision. I, I, I will be surprised. I will be surprised if we actually see Android vision, at least until maybe halfway point or towards the end of this uh, of this limited series. Interesting. That's a good point, probably because he was when they were alone together, at least based on the few scenes. He was human. He's he was in a human form. Yep. And also it's a lot cheaper and actors don't like to get in that makeup. Witness uh, uh, Jennifer I'm, Lawrence. 
Exactly. But I but I will bet you that that Wanda, since it takes place afterwards, she has created her own little universe, her perfect little idyllic 1950s leave it to beaver life with with her and Vision. And it's going to come crumbling down. And that's when Doctor Strange is going to get involved. So this is basically uh, the MCU meets Pleasantville. I, 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 I could be very, very wrong, but that, that just from the little tidbits that I've seen, that's what I'm expecting. Okay. I hope I'm wrong. I want to be surprised. We'll see if I'm right, but I'm, I'm almost positive since they said it leads into she is creating a universe. You know, I won't be disappointed if you're right. And I, I will, I'm sure I'll still be surprised because, yes, that may be the premise, but I have no clue where they're going to go with it. Exactly, exactly. But, oh, dear Lord, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. That that makes me so, so, so happy. Another Marvel film that makes me so, so, so happy, which I was, I didn't expect to hear this soon. Taika Waititi is returning to Thor. Yes. He is both writing and directing Thor, Love and Thunder. And in the biggest surprise, at least for me... Natalie Portman is returning as Jane Foster. Not only is she returning as Jane, but much like in a, a very famous comics run, she's going to be Thor. Yes, probably since Walt Simonson left the book, the Lady Thor storyline is the most popular and most iconic run of the series. So it doesn't surprise me that they're going to make use of it, especially since they are trying to push their female characters to the forefront. And uh, Taika Waititi said that he had actually read that run and at some like fairly recently. And that's why that's what inspired him to do Love and Thunder. So I'm very excited to see his interpretation. Um, I am I'm actually excited to see Natalie Portman do something in a Marvel film. That would be a nice change of pace. Because let's be honest, Jane was kind of, you know, Nellie Portman is a phenomenal actress, actor when, when given material. And we, we all know she, she's not very good when she's not given material. Oh, <coughs> prequels. Um, <laughs> Taika Waititi is a phenomenal director. He is a great writer. And I'm just very excited to have that whacked out sense of humor again. And my, my question is, are we actually going to get the LGBT content romance however it develops in this film that they have sort of been teasing for a while and tessa thompson said didn't the say first well, thing she yeah the first thing i want to do is as king is look for my queen and i've got a few ideas i believe is the quote so yes so my thought is oh okay so they're either planting their flag and saying yes we are actually going to do this where we've talked around it we teased people in non-canon ways but we're actually going to make this part of the mcu or it's Tessa Thompson trying to force their hand. I wouldn't be surprised that she's trying to force their hand. I would be fine with that too if it worked. Exactly, but I mean those two, those two, are very are very exciting for me. Another film that I'm very excited about because I know nothing about the character is uh, Shang Chi and the and the and the uh, Mystery of the Ten Rings. Legend. Legend of the Ten Rings. Um, I remember the Shang-Chi comic when I was a kid. I'm not going to lie. I never read it. But um, I'm very excited to see, you know, a, a predominantly all-Asian cast. And I'm also very excited that we're finally going to get to see the Mandarin. Yes, Tony Lung. I mean, that's pretty amazing. And apparently, um, originally originally in the comic, Shang-Chi was related to Fu Manchu. Yes, and a lot of people are thinking since the Mandarin is in it, they're going to push that relation to the Mandarin as opposed to Fu Manchu. Probably because Fu Manchu is a is a character widely and rightly derided, uh, derided these days as incredibly racist. 
Yes, and I mean you can you can't get Christopher Lee back to play him, so why bother? You know what? Yeah, well, that would just make it more racist, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, we've got this yellow peril character. How could we make him more offensive? I know, yellow face. Just to see how bad they could be, I read some some actual sex Romer novels, and uh, how bad are they? They're steeped in in the yellow peril alarmism and paranoia and racism of the 1920s i mean there was this there was this weird flirtation with orientalia and eastern exoticism that you see a lot in the design backgrounds and elements in silent movies at the same time there's this fear that china would engulf the world and fu manchu is just the sharp end of the wedge it's it's weird because i bet if you i don't even know if if romer would understand what you meant if you said this is pretty racist, but I think he would deny that he was painting the Chinese and about no, he's he's oh he's he's the smartest person in the world, yeah, and he always gets gets foiled by this really average white guy. Like when we were talking to Steve Van Sampson, yes, a few episodes ago about his book The Bone Eater King, and he was talking about his inspirations and 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 they were rooted in pulp stories from that same era. And he said, well, you know, the big stumbling block, of course, is that you either have to really be careful about you, what you read, or you have to just decide to, to push through the racism. And he, he couldn't with a lot of it. This is one of the ones where I just tossed, I, I, okay, I can't. I just can't. Yeah, Fu Manchu is a genius. And he's always thinking 10 steps ahead of everybody. But he's written like he's an alien. Like he's gotcha. not human. That's the thing that really got me. I, I gotcha. I gotcha. And um, th- um, phase four starts with the Black Widow movie. Which I was which, excited about until I found out it was a prequel. And now it's well, just, we Well, we knew it wasn't going to be a sequel. Come on. I thought they were going to find some clever way to bring her back. Of course not. Nope, 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 nope. The only the only reason why, I mean, I, 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 I'm excited just because it's about time Scarlett Johansson got her own fucking film. Because unlike unlike Natalie Portman... She has been a good soldier. She has not shit-talked the mouse. She has done everything they asked. And she's been waiting patiently. So, yeah, she deserves it. If it's a huge success, I mean, if it makes Captain Marvel money, which I don't think it will, I think it will probably make Wonder Woman money. Probably. But if it's an enormous success, then I think they they will find a clever way to bring her back. And I think you're right. Well, especially now that the multiverse is... Right. Um, opening up right and i understand you have a good point because if they brought her back for the first first phase four movie after endgame it would cheapen her sacrifice in endgame as much as i didn't like that sacrifice anyway which i I just thought it was i still think it was a what they did to the character was horrible but um i am and also i'm interested in the film because we're finally going to find out about budapest yeah i don't really care about budapest I, I, I'm, I'm in one of those, okay, that's a, I, let's find out about that. Let's find out about that backstory. But let's see here. What, what other movies, what other things do we well, have? Well, I just on? want to say real quickly before we yes. get too far off that I did read the uh, Shang-Chi comic books. Oh, okay. Okay. And I don't really, cause I was into martial arts and I was into gotcha. kung fu stuff. And they were about what you would expect from that era. Not terrifically enlightened, but really trying hard to be. Right. Um, just like when you read, uh, the Luke Cage books from the 70s, they are just so yeah. visible. But yes. you could tell they were trying so hard to be down with the street and trying to trying to make, no, no, he's the hero. 
Because yeah, he he talks like the worst character in the worst black exploitation movie ever. Because the only black people, you comic book writers, you you guys who you know live in Sheepshead Bay and commute in you know to six 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 Fifth Avenue, know they about... watch Superfly and like we can make a comic book exactly, based on that. Exactly, that's that that was all their credentials. But it 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 had some interesting things, and, and the character was fun, and I think he's got a lot of potential, and I think he could really go somewhere. I was excited that they cast Aquafina, and two weeks ago I would not have been excited. I would have just thought, "Oh, okay, that's fine, whatever." I'm sure she's playing some supporting part. I think she's probably going to have a lead role, and she deserves it because I saw her in the farewell, and she's, okay, she's amazing in that. All right, all right. I had, I honestly had, I had no idea when I heard the name Aquafina. I thought the water. I honestly did not know who oh. she was. So, I mean, she's in a movie called The Farewell? Yes, yes. It's a, Okay. You, you haven't heard about that? You haven't seen it? It's no, a, I have not. It's, it's a movie about a young woman who was born in China but came to the U.S. when she was six. Very westernized, very Americanized. Speaks kind of crappy Chinese. Has been back a few times to visit family. Is close to her grandmother who still lives in China. Her grandmother gets a, a, a terminal diagnosis. And the family as is apparently customary, decides not to tell her. Said, well, why should she have to live with that in what little time she has left? We as her family will take on that emotional burden. So they concoct this fake wedding to give everyone, the the whole extended family, an excuse to come to China and see her one last time. And Aquafina's just sort of like, well, this is wrong. And they're going, yeah, you're, you're an American. You just don't, you don't understand anymore. You don't remember. You don't... And she plays the character brilliantly, I think. She and okay. there's a lot of emotional levels going on. And I've just seen her. I saw her in what? What was it? Ocean's Eight. Oh, okay. All right. So okay. All right. I have seen her in something. Right. All and right. She, that's that's who. She, okay. And did did you see Crazy Rich Asians? I have not seen that. She's um, constantly. I know. I need to because everybody that that I, whose opinions I respect on film told me that was a great movie. It was a good romantic comedy. It was a okay. good. Not not thirty screwball, but you could. If it wasn't for the culture clash, you could see Carol Lombard being in a version of this Cinderella story in the you know where a teacher meets a guy who's secretly rich. I mean, it was very okay. I got you. It was very nineteen thirties wish fulfillment. Um, okay, and it and the the novels it was based on were were kind of snarky and interesting and and very gay. That man will never have his gay card revoked. I'm sure he knows who Patty Lapone is. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but oh yeah. So yeah, well, yar Scott, yar. Uh, and Aquafina plays her best friend. Hang on, I gotta go find some chew. <laughs> go on. Anyway, I, I Mar- Marvel tends to get people. Not always, but they tend to grab people who are who are up and then hit, are down. Have hit a down patch, like Robert Downey Jr., or people who are on the way up, or people who are big but have like plateaued at a sort of indie film level. Speaking, like Kate Blanchett. speaking of which, in addition to Kate Blanchett, uh, the Eternals, holy shit, Salma Hayek. Not just Angelina Jolie, yay. I mean, everybody knew that was going to happen, but I had no fucking clue that Salma... Now, I know absolutely nothing about the Eternals, so I'm going to be going into this one completely blind, which actually makes me kind of happy. I remember to just walk in and go, okay, I have no idea what you are. Tell me a story. It's another nutty cosmic Jack Kirby created comic book, a little bit like the new gods. It's a Kirby comic. Okay. All right. All right. So uh, 
it will I hope I hope it will be crazy because that that was the fun of those uh, comic books is they were just insane, stupid, really, if you gave it any thought at all. But if you didn't give it any thought, it was they were a lot of fun. Uh, Richard Madden is also in it. Richard Madden, who played uh, the dickish music promoter who was briefly Elton John's lover in Rocket Man yes. and, and is also very, very good in a series my sister introduced me to. Uh, I think it's called The Bodyguard. It's a BBC series. He's like a, uh, he works for like a, like a diplomatic protect, like basically British Secret Service. Okay, um, all right. I was okay. going to say, if you say he works for Whitney Houston. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to say his name wrong, so I'm going to ask you, uh, Kumali. Kamal Najani. Kamal Najani, there we go, who is up for an Emmy for his uh, role in the pilot episode of The Twilight Zone. Is that right? Yeah, he, he got an Emmy nom for it, for it, which makes me happy. But uh, he he's on board. Um, the, the Eternals the, the the Eternals cast is talk about diversity. There is every race in this puppy. Now, granted, there's a preponderance of white folks, but still, at least they threw everybody else in. Yeah, I believe there's a deaf character too. Yes, played yes, by, played by a deaf actress. So that's interesting. I will just say this about Kamel Najani. He he needs this. He was in the the Men in Black International. I mean, he was yes. an animated character. Yes. But uh, that bombed. And he was in Stuber with Dave Bautista, which I saw. And I would just like to say this is the only movie I have ever sat through in an entirely empty theater. I have been in theaters where I was the I thought I was going to be the only person, but at some point in a movie, one or two people would drift in and sit down. Usually these are people who have come out of a movie and are killing time until they go sneak into another movie at a multiplex. Right. Had there been any of those people, they would have sat down and then they would have gotten up and left. Now, I know people who absolutely loved Stuber. It was terrible. How could anybody love it? It was awful. I know they said that they, they loved that they loved the um, the uh the chemistry between Batista and and and, and Kamal. Um, they said that Dave Batista was phenomenal. I've read some really good reviews of the film, so I'm I, I will see it. I will I will rent it. But I, I have heard you are. Uh, I have heard more positive than negative from people about this one. All right, yeah, it's honestly. But I, that being said, you, how negative you are makes me feel like I'm probably I may like it, but I'm not going to love it. If I like it, I'm just going to be. It was okay. I would be surprised if, if you if you loved it. And I'm not saying there's nothing funny in it. And I'm not saying there's nothing. I mean, the chemistry is okay, but story wise, it's a turgid mess. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, let's see here. Uh, another uh, kind of fun thing that I'm interested in uh, on the Marvel slate, and this is going to be another one of the Disney Plus shows, is what if. Oh yeah. Now I remember reading the what ifs when I was a kid. I, uh, that was that. No, it was Howard the Duck, Star Wars, Doctor Strange, and I and I would read what ifs depending on what the story was. Right. What if blah blah blah? Okay, this one I'm interested in. What if blah blah blah? Yeah, don't care. But I mean, what what if was a fun little anthology? Now this one is going to be a cartoon, and um, they have said that pretty much. If they're using a character from the Marvel universe, that ca- that actor will be reprising their role. Because they have all the money in the universe. Yes, the mouse. Oh, since the mouse owns everything, they they can shuck it out. So, I mean, what if I think will be interesting? And who's playing the wa- who's playing the watcher? Uh, Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey Wright. Yes. Which immediately I was like, okay, 
Okay. I will listen to him narrate. I'm very happy. Yeah. Uh, what if I, I did read a lot of them? I like you. I didn't read all of them. It ba- my this was my decision process. I would go up to the rack and I would read. What if depending on who they were fucking with, if it was yep. somebody I didn't necessarily care about, it's like well, I don't care if they have their life destroyed. But if it was somebody a character I was interested in, oh yes, I would like to see their life peeled apart like an orange. Thank you. <laughs> But I, 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 and the thing that I'm really most impressed about with Phase Four, and we'll get to the the surprise, the surprises, quote unquote, that that Feige um, threw at the end in a second. But uh, no Avengers film. No, that's uh, doing an entire phase with no Avengers, which I and no Spider Man. Yeah, interesting. Which I did find interesting, and at the very end of the panel. Feige being Feige, and I, I do not mean that as a slam at all. I have to admit, as, as the as the as the Marvel Cinematic Universe has grown, I have really grown to respect Kevin Feige. Same here. I really, really have. Um, I didn't think I would say that in the beginning, but now I, I kind of like the guy. Um, at the very end of it, he was like, yeah, we've been so busy. Um, I didn't have the time. We didn't have the time to talk about the Fantastic Four. And, of course, everybody went, whoa. We didn't have the time to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which is coming. But James Gunn is finishing the Suicide Squad first. Uh, which I think is kind of really hysterical. We I don't have time to talk about mutants. He didn't say the X-Men. He said mutants. Yeah, I think that's a key fact. The Inhumans, which was their uh, replacement for the mutants when it was yep. owned by a rival property, kind of crashed and burned. I, I watched one episode, and deservedly so. Yeah, when he said he confirmed they're making a Fantastic Four movie, as I as I said to you in a text, it's like, yeah, take your time with that, Kev. Take your fucking time. <laughs> and then to end the panel, and you know his name, so I will I will defer to you on this. They brought out two-time Academy Award winner. Mahershala Ali. Thank you, Mahershala Ali, uh, who, I, uh, who I know predominantly is playing the phenomenal and the villain Cottonmouth in season one of Luke Cage, who put on a Blade cap. Yes, indeed, we are getting Blade back, and he is playing Blade, and holy fuck, that's awesome. That's great casting. Um, it's interesting that he he's already appeared in at least the Marvel Netflix universe, and usually in something as continuity-obsessed as comic books and comic book movies, especially this holistic universe that Marvel has built, there would be a problem, and they would have to come up, find some workaround, like, oh, well... He has a twin brother we've never heard of. I mean, that's the usual. So I was like, oh, so this is interesting. So Blade has an evil twin who's a villain in Harlem. Cottonmouth has a twin who's a vampire. That's an interesting family at Thanksgiving, I bet. Or, or they are going to bring Blade and and the Fantastic Four and the mutants into the MCU through the multiverse. That's a definite possibility. I, I, I don't think that this multiverse business that they've been pushing for the past, whatever, three films is in any way uh, a coincidence. 
Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely. Like I said, I mean, it was first introduced in the original Doctor Strange. The Ancient One mentioned it. And we knew. We knew in Spider-Man Far From Home, even after, you know, and uh, even after we found out, you know, about Quentin Beck's deception, it had already been mentioned. So we knew the multiverse existed. And Kevin Feige had, had confirmed it before he made the announcement of, you know, the multiverse of madness. But I would not be surprised if they use the multiverse as a way to bring in the, the, the you know, the, the, the um, Marvel's first family and the mutants and maybe even Blade, who knows? Or, or, or maybe Blade will, uh, maybe Blade will already be in and, and that's Feige's just way of saying, fuck you, Marvel TV. Yeah, Netflix and Disney did not part on good terms. They're not going to be the, the sort of exes who stay friends. And I know it's not going to happen. I know it's not going to happen. But I would absolutely lose my shit if at some point, if at some point in Multiverse of Madness, we find out that the Netflixer is actually another universe. Like if he's traveling the multiverse and all of a sudden like Daredevil or Jessica Jones pops up. Uh, That would be great. I I think the... The, it won't happen. No, no, it won't happen because because the the rights are too tangled right now. And Disney has a there's like a two year window during which they yep. can't do anything with those characters. Yep. So that's not going to happen. But you're right about the multiverse. The multiverse is an entire stack of narrative get out of jail free cards. And I wouldn't be surprised if they decide to bring to bring um, the Black Widow back. That that's how they're going to do it. I mean, hell, that's how they brought Gamora back for fuck's sake. Well, that was time travel. That... Well, okay, point taken, point taken. Oh, and speaking of um, speaking of Endgame, it is official. Endgame is officially now the highest grossing film of all time. Yes, excuse me. I'm. I was just taking a sip of this uh, delicious mug of um... Aquafina. <laughs> of uh, James Cameron's tears. <laughs> did you see did you see his little uh congratulations that he put out you know what it reminded me of it reminded me of those newsreel shots you'd see of vietnam era prisoners of war who would be reading uh, north vietnamese propaganda while blinking the words torture in morse code yeah it's like oh yeah that this seems so sincere james you mean it i can tell I'm not gonna lie. I, I did kind of I did kind of go yay just a little bit when it happened, only because I really found Avatar boring as fuck. Oh, it was. It was. I I tried. Like I said, I mean, uh, my mother um, Walter and I went to see it just because I wanted to see the 3D, and Walter and I fell asleep. Oh, really? We both fell asleep during the film. Mom had to wake us up. I think twice. I can't tell you how much I envy you because I. <clears throat> my, my my brain doesn't love me that much. It makes me sit through the whole thing. No, it was like it was like Harlequin. It took me a couple of times before I could actually get through that entire film. No, it's it, it's some sort of nature has provided you with some with with this amazing defense mechanism against really boring crap. Uh, my body just shuts down. Just shuts down, goes to sleep, and mine. Nope, nope. I'm 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 suffering through every second of it. So well, I do you, envy that. You write the books that make the whole world scream. So there you go. <laughs> it's the only catharsis I get. Exactly. You don't fall asleep. You take your anger out with the written word. Right. Uh, let me ask you a real quick quick question before we wrap up. Since I know you're a fan of the games, what did you think of the Witcher trailer? 
I am so fucking excited, but I'm not going to lie there. Um, there was, there was a, it, it was tinged with a lot of sadness because mom was really looking forward to that show. Oh, right. She, she liked the book. She watched, she, no, she watched me play almost the entire game. Did she really? Yeah, she she fell in love with that game. She loved the story. She loved the characters. She loved the love story between um, Geralt and Yennefer. And she was excited as hell when she found out that Henry Cavill was playing Geralt. She she thought that was perfect casting, too. That trailer came out, and I'm watching it, and I'm Google-eyed over everything, especially the shot of him being poisoned with his eyes when you could tell he, he took the, 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 the decoction. But all I could think of was, oh, God, Mom would have loved this. So it's going to be tough to watch. I'm not going to lie, but I can't wait to see it. Okay. Just out of curiosity, how tough is it to sit through one of one of those Witcher sex scenes when your mom's looking over your shoulder? We got, we both laughed at them. Okay. Oh, no, the, the, the sex scene on the unicorn, she was actually there for the sex scene on the unicorn. And she, she, just, she just started laughing her ass off. <laughs> Even the opening scene, like she actually watched me start that game. Oh really? What what props it? Why did she sit? Why did she think that was going to be interesting? Did she watch Honestly, you play other games? Oh God! This, oh yeah, no. She she loved she loved smoking with me while I was playing games. Ah, that was that was kind of our ritual. We'd get high while I was playing games. A boy's best friend is his mother. I am not Norman Bates. <laughs> I almost resent that, Scott. I almost. I you know what? I think if if Norman and Mom had smoked, probably things would have turned out differently. Yeah, the drinking the tea was just a bad idea. He wouldn't have been but, so tightly wound, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, but no, but I mean, I, I had just gotten the game, and um, we had some, so I was like, hey, I'm about to start The Witcher. You you, you want to come down, smoke, and watch? And she's like, absolutely. And she usually would bring down her like her, 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 her cross-stitch or and stuff, and she'd basically do that while, while we were smoking. But with The Witcher, she watched it immediately. Hmm. Because, you know, one of the opening scenes after after the nightmare is, uh, well, you know, the opening scene, you basically see Geralt in the bathtub and she's like, ooh, naked scarred man. <laughs> and then that the creature crawls in the bathtub and she's like, what the fuck are we watching? And then she just got into it. Yeah, people are very excited that the bathtub is going to be in the movie. <laughs> there was a whole thing. There was a whole long Twitter thread about that. But no, I mean, I, I'm I'm very excited to see adaptions of the short stories. I actually, I, I finally got around to start reading um, the novel. I've read the short stories. I haven't read the novels yet. So I've read what they're adapting. Oh, okay. So I'm very excited. Now, I know they're changing some things because Siri isn't even in the short stories. Right. She also comes in later in the games, right? Uh, uh, no, well, um, I don't she? know because I've only played the third one. Uh, okay. Like I said, I, I honestly have I, – I thought about playing the other two, but um, when, when, once I finished Witcher 3 for the first time, I was like, you know what? I got everything I need. I got all the backstory that I need. I really don't need to play the other ones, and I really don't want to because this is just perfection in storytelling and game for me. Okay. Like I said, that's when I started reading the, the, the short stories. So I, I don't know how they're doing Siri. I have a feeling we may actually get parallel storylines, which I'm totally fine with if they do that. Th that's something that, that television excels at. That is a hallmark of TV serialized storytelling. 
And and I love the fact that I, I watched a little bit of the Witcher panel, and um, I love he- hearing Henry Cavill talk about how much loves he bo- how much he loves the books and the games. It really does make me happy. Well, he's a big gamer nerd anyway, apparently, which I think is kind of cool. Oh. But uh, he absolutely loves the, the all. He's played all three games several times, and he's read all the books. I mean, he like I told you. I mean, he fought for this character. So I'm like, okay. And everybody who was involved in this really seems to like, you know, love these characters and love these stories. And, you know, and, and the, 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 the grumpy old Polish man is finally getting his due. So more power to him. Oh, did you see the trailer for Watchmen? Yes, I did. What'd you think? I'm willing to give it a shot. Okay. I'm willing to give it a shot. Um, it takes place after. They're not trying to do a like prequel like DC did. It takes place afterwards. I'm kind of knowing that. I'm kind of interested to see. Okay, how did that world develop after that event? Right. That actually does kind of intrigue me. And I'm one of the few people that actually likes Damon Lindelof, so I have no problem with him. Yeah, that's a controversial position. No question. I know, I know, and I don't give a fuck. <laughs> now, did you see another trailer um, that just dropped today? Have you seen the trailer for It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood? Yes. What did you think of that? I, I don't feel like it's necessary. I mean, there was a really beautifully done documentary about Mr. Rogers, and I'm sure Tom Hanks will be great. Tom Hanks. He'll be Tom Hanks. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. I just don't need a... I don't need that. I honestly didn't even know it existed until um, I was going through my, my Twitter feed at work and people all of a sudden started talking about, you know, this tearing up at the trailer and Tom Hanks is perfect. And I'm like, what are they talking about? And then the, the trailer popped up on my phone. I'm like, I'll watch it when I get home. And I watched it and I went, all right, I, will n- I won't see this in the theater, but I'll definitely run it. I'll probably watch it if it comes on cable. I mean, it's going to be a weep fest. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. And on that note, that's enough of fucking Comic-Con. I can can now officially smell what Hollage smells like, so it's time we stop. (laughs) All right, folks. We want to thank you uh, for listening. And uh, coming soon, we have a a special guest. Very special guest. A favorite guest of the show. And who is that? You'll find out fairly soon. So until later, this is Scott. I am Jeff. Bye-bye.